today we are continuing our summer series called Summer at Life Church. And in 2008, Gallup Poll did a survey that showed that 62% of adults identified as members of a church. 62%. I think that's pretty good. Again, this was in 2008, 62% overwhelming majority there. But in 2021, just 13 years later, same poll down from 62% to 47% of U.S. adults now identifying as members of a church. For the mathematicians in here, that is 15%, a decrease of 15% from 2008 to 2021. And, you know, there are some things that happened in the world throughout this time that might have had some kind of impact on those percentages and on those numbers. But I don't think that we can attribute that only to a global pandemic. I think there's other things going on. There's uh, another poll, the same poll actually from 2021 showed that only 22% of Christians attend church regularly week after week or almost every single week. That only 22% of Christians attend uh, church every single week. Obviously, church attendance isn't everything, but it is something, right? Like, I mean, you are here today. It is something. There's something important about that. So we look at these numbers and we're like, even the people on our team that believe what we believe don't find it important enough to regularly be a part of the community for spiritual growth and formation. What's going on with the church in America? What's going on with our world at large? And are the two linked? I don't have all those answers for you today. I don't, I don't know all the problems that are going on with the world and how to fix them. I, I certainly don't know all the problems that are going on with the church and how to fix those. But I do want us this morning to maybe just take a step back and look at the problems and then look at what we're actually doing to address them or, or look at how we're responding or reacting to these issues. I think there's one of two different ways to respond and react to the issues that we're seeing when we turn on the news, when we look at the world around us, when we go to work and hear the, the discussions and the conversations, when we you know wake up in fear of what might happen here or what might happen there, when we look at the the other side as an opposing force. Here's one of two ways that we can look at and examine the problems. I think the first way is that we can be saddened, depressed, frustrated. Uh, We can say the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we can further widen the divide between your group and their group, or our group and their group. Make, better yet, make them the enemy so that you don't actually have to take responsibility for loving them, for crossing the divide to reach out to them, to to address your own behaviors and practices, and to get uncomfortable for the sake of others. You can make them the them, and us the us, and separate and then you can have your own fears and frustrations and be saddened by what's going on and just hope that God comes back quickly. That's one way to to look at the problem. Or I I think another way that we can look at the problem, the the option here uh, is to look at what's going on in the world and to not ignore it, but to look at it as a real opportunity to make a difference. 
you have a huge opportunity, maybe more now than ever before, to make a difference in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your family and amongst your friends. Most of you are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Maybe not here today in this room, but you know, in, in your normal life, where you work and where you do life, that, that I would imagine that you are surrounded by people who don't necessarily have a personal relationship with Jesus. They don't find themselves in a church on this Sunday morning necessarily. And listen, a culture like ours today, where a growing majority of people do not know Jesus, makes us a lot like Jesus. Are you following me? Living in a culture today where people don't know Jesus increasingly makes you a lot like Jesus who lived in a culture where people didn't know him and those that did largely didn't respect him, didn't honor him. He certainly didn't live in a Christian nation and he, got, and he was able to do life. He certainly wasn't a part of any kind of majority. But get this, People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. Do you remember in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that it was often the seemingly religious people, it was the spiritually devout individuals that often disliked Jesus. Not all of them, but in the Gospels, we often get the religious, the, the, the pompous, the people that were in the temples, those were the ones that were casting dispersion on Jesus as Messiah. And on the other hand, it was the sinners... It was the spiritually devoid, the spiritually bankrupt. It was the lost that liked Jesus, that, that seemed to gravitate towards him. What was true of Jesus has to be true of us collectively. What was true about Jesus individually, that, that people that that weren't like him, liked him, and he liked them back, has to be true about us collectively. If we are attempting to mirror Jesus, if we're attempting to image God, if we're attempting to be Christ followers, Christians, then we too must have people that are not like us, like us, and we in return should like them back. What if your reputation and the reputation of Life Church was one that those in our community who might have no relationship with God, who might not believe what you believe really in any regards on a theological level, might not have any understanding of the scriptures in the way that you do, or might have no uh, concept of the afterlife like you do. What if they, they, although they were different in all of these ways, what if when they thought of you and in the, the church that you go to and the people that you're a part of, they, they were like, man, they, they give more than anyone else in our community? They do more than anyone else in our community? They, they have an integrity that is hard to find nowadays. There's something different about them. I don't necessarily agree with what they think about all of these things, but, but there's something special about these people. What if? What would it look like? 
if people in our community, when they saw someone wearing a, a, a Life Church shirt or a Life Church hat, or when they, when, they, uh, when they heard Life Church talked about, or they came into contact with someone from Life Church, they instantly thought, man, I don't know if I, if I believe anything they do about the Bible or the resurrection or the afterlife, but I want my son or I want my daughter to marry a man or marry a woman from that church because they are the kindest people that I've ever met. They're the most generous people I have ever met. And don't get me wrong, this has nothing to do with life church in and of itself. I would love for, for, for people to think that of all Christians, but they don't. Do they? Am I wrong? Like my, my understanding is that the world often has a, a less than flattering opinion of the Christian church nowadays. And we can blame that on the world and continue to do our own thing, or we can maybe do some self-assessment and say, what, what do we need to do differently? What do we need to do better? What do I need to change about myself or my practices or my behaviors? That's a lie. But we're going to go to, to scripture today, and I want, I, want to, I want us to look at how this early church did it. Because there was something special about them where they were stepping out in faith and in courage. That is our key word today, courage that was not of their own, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they made an incredible impact on the unbelieving world around them. And if you want to be a church, and if you want to be a people like Jesus, who the people that you're around might not be like you, but they like you, and you like them back, and it results in life change, if you want to be like Jesus in this way, then it's going to take Holy Spirit-inspired courage. That's what we're going to talk about today. Turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we'll start in chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Courage is the catalyst that leads to the life that God is calling you to. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage to do three things. If you're taking notes, you can write down this first one. If you're not taking notes, you can just continue to do what you've been doing for the last few years. Uh, number one, courage to stand up. The Holy Spirit gives us, as believers, the courage to stand up. I want us to look at two verses from Acts chapter one, a verse from Acts chapter one, a verse from Acts chapter two, and I want us to look at Peter, and, and I want to point out a, a couple of words here. Acts chapter one, as I was reading the book of Acts, I started to notice this reoccurring phrase. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. We say stood up with me. Uh, in those days, Peter st stood up among the believers. And then help me out with this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. So just a chapter later. Then Peter, let's do it again. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So we've got two different occasions, Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is standing up where he's making his presence known, where he's standing up and communicating something among the believers. In, in chapter 2, he's addressing the crowd. He's standing up. It takes courage to stand up. And I would argue that it takes more courage to stand for something than it does to stand against something. Do you know the difference? When you stand against something, it's often about self-preservation. 
How can I protect myself and my own opinions and my own thoughts? How, self-preservation, when you stand against something, right? That's wrong and I'm right. When you stand for something, it's often about self-sacrifice. When you stand against something, it's about self-preservation. When you stand for something, it's often about self-sacrifice because you're standing for something that's greater than yourself. What are you for? What's worth standing up for in your life? I can't, I can't tell you what is, is in your life worth standing up for. I could, I could share with you in my life, but I could also just point to God and show you what God stood for. The, the most quoted verse in all of scripture began, begins with the word for, and it shows us what God is for. John, what is it? Uh, it's for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God's for. What are you for? Peter went from standing against Rome to preaching salvation to the Romans. He went from wanting to take Rome out to wanting to bring Rome in. Kind of just a radical transformation. I I don't know if you know, Peter is a key figure in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts. He plays a pivotal role in the launch of the Christian church. But just three months before, he's chopping some guy's ear off in the garden. You remember, this is, this is Peter. He's also the one that's denying his relationship with Jesus to a middle school girl around a fire. Peter is living in fear, not in courage, three months earlier. And now he's standing up. He's standing up. He's standing up, not against something, but standing up for something. C.S. Lewis, he said this, what you see and what you hear it depends a great deal on where you are standing. Do you live in fear because of what our country is becoming? Do you see the other side as your enemy? Could it be that you are standing in places, that you are positioning yourself in places, to hear and see these kinds of things that are seeding these thoughts. I mean, it's only natural. The enemy would love for us to live in fear. The enemy of our soul would love for us to make decisions, not out of faith, but out of fear to make choices based on self-preservation, not self-sacrifice, and be so internally focused that we completely lose sight of what God is trying to do in the world around us. And I think the enemy would be completely satisfied if you make it to heaven, but if you make it to heaven alone. I think sometimes when we think about the enemy of our soul, we think he, you know, like he's just attacking us, the devil, with a pitchfork and a cape and horns, is out to get us personally. And yeah, I mean, th- there is some truth to that, right? Like the enemy of our soul certainly wants to take you down. But again, if it was to, to, to let you go to heaven, but let you go alone, I, I think you'd be okay with that rather than to let you go to heaven and take a, a large group of people with you. I think when we live our lives based on fear and frustration and 
what's going to happen in this world and how are we going to make it? As if things like this hasn't been happening for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. I think it leads us to standing against things, making other people the enemy and allowing the enemy to win. What if we began standing for something greater than ourselves? What if you weren't as concerned about your personal agenda and instead were consumed by God's agenda? I think the world around us would begin to take notice. I think, because this is so countercultural to our world today, where everyone is in it to win it, everyone is just looking out for themselves. But if we want to live a life like Jesus lived, where people who were nothing liked him liked him and he liked them back, it starts with having the courage to stand for something that's greater than ourselves. What are you standing for? The second thing that the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to do is the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to speak truth. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage to speak truth. And first things first, if you are more excited about this point, the the ability to stand up and speak your truth over the last point, the ability to stand up for something that's greater than yourself, then you've got a problem, right? Like if if you just want to share your opinion and make it known, and that's kind of like your, your, your main thing, maybe reassess, reevaluate, reexamine. Because if that's the case, you're missing the entire point. If we go to Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses the crowd and he, courageous, he courageously preaches the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can see there at chapter 2, kind of a lengthy sermon that he kind of gives to the people. And he's just kind of walking through what Jesus did, who he was, what he accomplished. And then in verse 37, at the end of the sermon, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. When speaking, when it comes to speaking truth, I think we often fall, of, fall into one of, of two categories. We either fall silent or we're annoying about it, right? Like when it comes to our faith, it, we either fall silent. Which one do you lean more towards, right? right? It, we, we fall silent. It's embarrassing. We don't really like to open our mouths and talk about it. It's uncomfortable. I, I, uh, I feel bad for like my, my wife and other, like when, when they ask like, what does your husband do for a living? Like, what is she supposed to say that doesn't make the conversation awkward, right? Like he's a teacher? Uh, yeah, you know, what, what, what is she, how does she, how does she do that? Like if someone asks you to hang out on a Sunday, what, how do you navigate that? You know, it, it, it's, it can be awkward. So we just fall silent. On the other side, there's those of us that are just annoying about our faith. And I'm not saying that we talk about it too much, and although maybe that's a thing. I think it's the way that we talk about it sometimes. Maybe it's the Facebook warriors. Do you know anyone that just wants to make their opinion always known? It's not just on Facebook, but it's probably just on Facebook. Wants to make their, 
opinion known and, and they're going to make sure everybody knows about it and they're going to enter into every kind of conversation and thread and argument on, on social media so that they can make sure their opinion is known. These keyboard warriors, right? Either that or, I, 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 I mean, I, I've been guilty of this from time to time where just we use our faith as a bludgeon, right? To like just beat people into submission. How's that working for you? Has that ever changed anyone? So where are you? Do, do you often fall silent when it comes to speaking truth or do you, or are you just annoying? <laughs> like which, which, one, which one is it for you? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, you've you probably heard it before. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I think sometimes some of us maybe have good intentions and we want to share our faith, but the people on the other end are just hearing a symbol crash over and over and over again as we open our mouths to share because we're just not doing it right. <laughs> Author Bob Goff, he said, Jesus doesn't need you to be his lawyer. He asks you to be his witness. I think our opinions often push people away from Jesus rather than draw them in. Our opinions. The truth, on the other hand, is something that welcomes outsiders in. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? Isn't that what Jesus' message was all about? He didn't come for the people that were already healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the people that thought they were already found. He came for the lost. He didn't come for the people that were already put together and everything looked perfect about them. He came for the people that were broken and acknowledged that. He doesn't need you to be his lawyer. He needs you to be his witness. Do you remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He meant it. Jesus is the truth. Listen, I get it. There's 66 books in the Bible and there's a lot of different teachings there. And it, it might be um, like you might want to hold on to every single one of those truths to the same degree and make sure that everybody agrees with you. But in doing so, you're going to miss the truth of the entire Bible, which is Jesus. And I'm, listen, I'm saying study your Bible. I'm all about that. I'm all about having a well-rounded and a well-thought-out and a well-discovered you know, theology and all of those things. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he needs to be the center of it all. Jesus alone is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus alone is the fulfillment of the Gospels. Jesus alone is the perfect revelation of God the Father. So if you're going to stand for anything, if you're going to speak anything, stand for and speak about the truths of Jesus. People are never turned off by Jesus. Like still, 2,000 years later, no one has a problem with Jesus. They often have a problem with his followers. With the people that are supposed to be his witnesses. So you've got to decide right here and right now, are you more concerned about your opinions or are you more concerned with the truth of Jesus Christ? This will make all the difference in the way that you live your life, in the way that you interact with the people around you. 
And it will make all the difference in the effectiveness of your witness. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage to stand for something rather than against something. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage to speak the truth, not our opinion. Lastly, the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to do what is right no matter the cost. Where we are in the book of Acts, Jesus has already ascended into heaven, saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your counselor, to empower you to do what I want you to do on this earth. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills the room and fills the people. And with this Holy Spirit-inspired courage, these people begin to change the world. Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John, again, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, They were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter and John did something that most of us don't do when we come up to someone asking for money on the streets. Peter and John looked straight at him. I know that some of you, you pull your car just right so that beam on the side of your car by your window is blocking your vision of the person that's asking for money. I know it. Peter and John looked straight at him. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Can anyone relate? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. There was a miracle that took place because Peter and John did something that was uncomfortable, something that was unfamiliar. They didn't have any money to give him, but they had something greater. And it brought healing, not only physically, but spiritually to that man. And he went around jumping and praising God, walking, jumping. And the people And the community began to take notice. And not everyone was happy about it. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 4 says, Many who heard the message believed. That's good. So the number of men believed grew to about 5,000, which is amazing. But what you don't know is that while that was happening, Peter and John were thrown into prison. Because of the... Uh, Just because of all that was going on, they were doing miracles. They hadn't asked for permission to do the miracles. They were causing a ruckus in the community. And so they were thrown into prison overnight so that the people, uh, they could figure out what to do with these two men. People were being saved. Peter and John, because of their actions, were thrown into prison. But get this. The church was growing. From 12 to 120, to 3,000, 
And, and now to 5,000 because of the courage of these men. The courage of a dozen can impact thousands. The courage of a dozen can impact thousands. And most of you know that prison was just the beginning of the opposition that these early believers would begin to face. Over the coming days, months, and years, as Christianity spread, opposition would increase as well. There was persecution that led to prosecution, prosecution that led to excommunication, and excommunication that would lead to imprisonment, and soon many Christians were being martyred for their faith in Jesus. This is the kind of courage that can only come from the Holy Spirit. A kind of courage that you and I don't naturally have, that Peter and John and these other believers didn't naturally have. But a courage that is divinely inspired. And it wasn't just these early believers. You know that the early church in history so believed that they had eternal life that many of them did not fear death. So when plagues would come and ravage their towns and everyone would flee for safety, History tells us that Christians would remain behind to take care of those that could not leave under their own power. Years later, there was a priest by the name of William Tyndale who was a brilliant scholar, well-versed in both Hebrew and Greek. He so loved the truth and opposed the ignorance and lies perpetrated by the powers of the day And even though it was highly illegal, it was this Christian brother who was the first to translate the entire Bible into English and get it into as many hands as possible before he was arrested, strangled, and burned at the stake, some say with his Bibles used as the kindling for the fire. It's this kind of courage that so pervades the history of the church that is so commonplace in scripture for people that follow God because these people have such a conviction that they believe what is true and a courage to live out that truth no matter the cost even if it costs them their life. And for many of them, it did. And after all, isn't this the pattern that Jesus, our Savior, left for us? One who stood up for what was right and was challenged to stand against the powers of the day decided that that wasn't his fight in the first place. He was there to stand for something. Someone, Jesus, who, who, who had the courage to speak the truth, he, he didn't shy away from the truth. He wasn't silent about it. He wasn't annoying about it. He spoke the truth boldly and courageously and who did what was right no matter the cost, even if it cost him his own life. As Christians, we may be criticized for what we believe, but we should never 
be criticized for the way that we're living out our faith. That, 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 that we should be criticized for what we believe, but we should be famous for our courage to do what is right no matter the cost. We, more than anyone else, should be radical in our compassion and our generosity and our forgiveness and our selflessness. And we must be willing to lay it all on the line for the sake of others. More than anyone in this world today, we should be the ones that are most uncomfortable and okay with it. As we live out in our, our faith in this way, the world around us will take notice and lives will be changed. Acts chapter four, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, there was nothing special about them. But these city leaders were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Maybe you are exactly where you are in your life today, surrounded by the people that you are surrounded with in a world that seems as tumultuous as it might at times. Not to fight back, not to stand against and make your opinion known, not to create even more enemies for yourself and for the kingdom. Not to endure so that one day God might deliver you out. Maybe we're praying the wrong prayer. We're praying, God, deliver us. Take us out of this. When God is saying, I put you there on purpose for a purpose. Stand, be courageous, and let me work through you to reach them. And listen, Life Church, courage is contagious. And when you begin to act out in courageous faith, other people will take notice and they will do it as well. And they will do it as well. And they will do it as well. And slowly but surely, I believe that we can start to see the world around us change for the good of others and for the glory of God. Let's pray for that courage today. God, we invite the Holy Spirit into this room and into our lives to give us the courage that we do not possibly have on our own. God, I pray that you would help us to stand boldly, confidently for rather than against. God, that you would give us the courage to speak the truth of Jesus above and beyond anything and everything else. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That we would set aside our opinions or preferences for the sake of others. God, that your Holy Spirit would help us to have the courage to do what is right, no matter the cost. That we would be extravagant in our generosity, in our grace, in our mercy, in our forgiveness. That we would lay our life down for the sake of others. God, I I wanna pray. As we conclude, I I pray for two types of people. One type of people that have been following you for a while now, but maybe just feel like they're doing the same thing. It's 
mundane at this point. It is normative. There's no, there's nothing new happening. I pray that a fresh wave of Holy Spirit inspired courage would feel, feel and flood their lives today so that they would be able to stand up and do new things, be used in new ways, give them new sight to see the world around them the way that you see it. And then for those that don't have the Holy Spirit inspired courage because they don't have the Holy Spirit, God, I pray today for those that came in this room not knowing you without a personal relationship. God, I pray today that they would welcome you in. They would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they would be saved. Do your work today. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray.